Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Welcome to the Runner's World Podcast with me, Rick Pearson. And me, Ben Hobson. Today we're looking back at an incredible London marathon and catching up with the world's greatest adventure runner, Jonathan Albin. How's it going, Ben? Oh, I'm very well. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Um, I can't, I, I've sort of got a weird... Um, you know that there's the day after the marathon kind of like... It's very much a, like a, a state of being the day after the marathon. I feel like I ha- I'm sort of lacking in that dose of um, crowd participation fun. Mm. that you would normally get from obviously going and watching it in the streets of London, which is, you know, that's, it's not a, it's just a sign of the times. But, you know, I, I do feel like I, I, I've seen stuff about the London Marathon, but haven't had the euphoric high that as a spectator you'd, you'd get. Seem fair? I think that's fair. I think there's that famous quote, isn't there? Someone said, if, if you're losing faith in humanity, go and go and watch a marathon. And obviously that's not something that we can... Uh, <laughs> could do in the normal way uh, yesterday is it no. although i mean there were still some in, yeah, some incredible moments mate that you know oh, that i would so like good. to i would like to go through with you if if you if you will indulge me i will um, always indulge you right let's start with let's start with you know the, the major news kipchoge is human he he doesn't always win um over 26.2 miles and that was i mean that that was that was remarkable wasn't it because we're so used to watching him pull away from people and I guess my question is Ben um do you think that this is just uh, just an off day and everyone's entitled to an off day even the the greatest athletes in the world or do you think actually that we may be approaching the beginning of the end for the world's greatest marathoner ah I I'm gonna say that of course everyone is everyone's allowed their bad days I think that maybe the assumption always was that he didn't have them at all. Yes. Like he was just able to just turn up to any any occasion and just win it. And I think he's been doing that for a number of years now. And you mm. kind of have to think that you can only do that for a number of years. Mm. But yeah, I think it's... it's I guess you you just have to see how he goes in some other races. Yeah, and and under very specific um, circumstances, right? I mean, obviously it was it was very cold and wet, particularly if you're used to training in in East Africa as he is. And yes, perhaps some people are better adapted to that, you know, the new kind of lapped format. Although, I guess if it, if anyone in some ways was has experienced that, it would be um, Kipchoge after the kind of yeah. the stuff in Vienna, but. Yeah. Um, I think what will be interesting now is 
when he races again, uh, he would he would have lost some of that kind of cloak of invincibility because I think, as you were saying, there was actually some expectation certainly from people watching, but also racing him that you know at some point he was just going to pull away and beat you, and then it became clear, didn't it, with about sort of five yeah. kilometers left, it was like even if he puts his foot down now, five kilometers left, he's not going to be able to drop these people because we're running at like two o six pace, and everyone who's in that pack can kind of run inside 206 so it was quite like wow this is actually going to be a race and he actually may not win and it was quite hard to even as a viewer to sort of be like wow this could actually yeah i think there's sort of two things it's like when you saw so again going back to the idea of like he's just had a bad day if you take like boston what 2018 Mm. yeah i think so I mean, the weather was atrocious. I mean, it was way worse than yesterday. Yesterday was just mm. wet, whereas Boston was freezing and horrible and, and all that sort of stuff. But still, as you say, conditions training in Africa or wherever, you know, warmer climates, not a lot of rain, suddenly freezing cold. Yeah, I like, he's got an earache. And like when you're running really, really, really quickly, yeah. that's, that's, gonna, that's probably going to have an effect. Um, so I think that, yeah, you know the conditions. I mean, Rick, you're asking me, and I I predicted that Bakili might might win it, and it would be a really fast race. So I know our, our mystic Meg powers have been uh, kind of revealed as being fairly um, minimal, haven't they? Yeah, Bakili's yeah. going to win. It's going to be a really quick quick race. Yeah, race, um, but no, um, but no. I think I, I I you know I think that the 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 I reckon some of the guys racing alongside him were as just as surprised as anyone else that we sure. Yeah, for sure. You know, five K to go, not more, you know, at the twenty mile mark, they're sitting there going, Guys, he's still here and he's but he's a bit behind us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's um I think we're running with uh top athletes, particularly people um like Kipchoge, so serene. It's actually it's very difficult to tell, isn't it? If someone is mm. struggling, you think, oh well, he he doesn't look as like he's right up the front anymore. But until actually, you know, someone gets gapped or dropped, you, you, you kind of it's hard to hard to say. But hey, look, I want to move on to some some very some positive stuff then because we've got a new life goal, and the new life goal is to do an attempt to finish a race like Sarah Hall. But it was absolutely amazing, almost you know possibly the moment of. The marathon that will be remembered the most is that the American and uh, incredible finish come in second place. It's just, it's just amazing. I, I think I want to watch that before every run that I do, just was, to get in the right kind it, of like frame of mind. It was sort of knowing that the gap was probably like fifteen seconds, and she had to make up that time as she sort of came round the bend. Yeah, and it was, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. like proper. I've got, I mean, like you can, you know, you can see the runner in front of you and you're just all in and that's it. Yeah. And yeah, I, I agree. I would, I want to now finish every run, not every race, just every run now. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to choose an unsuspecting member of the public and chase them down. <laughs> it's, it's funny what we take from these, these incredible performances though, Ben, because I know that on the website we've got, you know, um, what shoes is Sarah Hall wearing for the for um, for the win, and that's obviously something that that people have googled as well. And it's uh, we get interested in the kit, don't we? And I I am I, um, I was like, well, I'm quite interested because she she wears a um, one of these sort of nose strips as well. You know, the kind of right. thing that footballers were wearing in the in the mid '90s. And I think I've sort of 
largely been, I'm not going to say debunked, but not a kind of great performance enhancer. But I bet you sales of that have gone up as well. We, we kind of don't want to take from these things. What you need is actually just a bulletproof mentality and an ability to really like suffer. It's like, what shoes was she wearing? And are those nose strips a good idea? Do you know what well, I mean? We yeah. kind of want to take the easy stuff from it. Yeah, but you say that and I'm straight in on the shoes stuff going, well, actually, they are a pair of shoes that are currently being tested by athletes as part of ASICS's ongoing R&D mm. program. So that's probably why people were looking because, you know, the eagle-eyed would have looked out there and gone, I don't recognize those shoes. And that's because they are, you know, they're an R&D pair. They're research and design. So that was quite interesting. But yeah, you're yeah, right. That's, you're that's 100%. a good point, man. The, the biggest takeaway shouldn't be the tech kit. And, the, and the kit. <laughs> yeah. It's the, the guts and the willpower and the the reason why we you do the hundreds and hundreds of miles uh, and all of the dedication that you put and the time yeah. that you spend doing it. It's that. That's the moment. Not, you can't buy that, can you, unfortunately? You can't, um, you can't sort of You can try and there's a lot of stuff <laughs> out there, but no, you can't. That is, that's, an, that's an interesting um, observation about the footwear because on the, on the men and women's podium... And I think this probably is quite unusual now, but they weren't all wearing um, a version of the sort of Nike Vaporfly or Alphafly shoe, are they? We have, no. an, we have an ASIC shoe in there, yeah. worn by Sarah Hall. And we have uh, a, I think it was Kip Chunga, the Kenyan who was just out sprinted. That was, that was Adidas. I get like, they're, they're carbon fiber plated shoes, but interesting that maybe some brands are now bridging, are bridging that gap to, to the Nike shoe, yeah, um, so which I think all... is a good thing. They'll all be, you know, they'll all adhere to the 40 mil stack height, and mm. one, one carbon plate rule. And that's, that was brought in to sort of counter the, the ongoing development from Nike. And that seems fair. And I think that that's kind of offered up a much more level playing field. But, you know, we, we've talked about the shoes and stuff before. We don't know. We don't need to get into that now. I think that the fact that, you know, the weather was way, was way more interesting than the shoes, and that's what made yeah, it. That's, I what, know you mean, mate. that's what made it more of a race for sure. Um, I want to just do a little bit of negative chat because I do think that the, the, the TV coverage of running <laughs> in general, but but maybe marathons in particular, is is kind of woeful actually, like and quite just really basic and and quite and quite lazy from a. Well, certainly from a, like, I just think it needs, it just needs more elements on the screen. So there needs to be, like, better TV graphics showing some sort of leader, leaderboard changes, you know, more yeah. camera angles. Don't you, don't you agree? Don't, I just thought, like, God, this could, we could breathe some more life into this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so there was, I, I sort of saw a lot of this. I, and there was, like, there was what was being shown on BBC One or BBC Two or whatever it is. And then you could go red button and you could see un, un, uninterrupted and it was kind of a bit different and you got more focus on the lead pack and and different stuff rather than the sort of flitting in between and hearing other stories and all the sort of stuff but i'm gonna sort of go out on a limb really and say it's that the coverage was i think there were bits of it that were just complete fluff and i and that stuff really just i find really boring but um i don't think marathon i don't think marathons are particularly viewer friendly spectator sport when it comes to watching them on tv i think that there are there've been a few like absolute battles that have taken place over the years which have really set alive a race and that's what's captured it or that's what's made it a race that i remember but Mm. it's kind of like unless if it's just 
the pack running with very little else ha happening, <laughs> then it's kind of almost like have it on in the background and then tune in for the last bit. Yeah, but I think, <laughs> but I, I I agree with you. If that's if you if you're just kind of focusing on the pack and then it's like, but you think of something like say cycling coverage, which I think yeah. is a lot better. And you and there, there are comparisons, aren't there, in, in the idea that it goes on. For, it's a longer, it's a longer, for a long, yeah, yeah. longer. Yeah, I just think there's there needs to be better sort of storytelling about the athletes a, a little bit more to, like if we did want to talk about the shoes then instead of just the, these shoes being off camera and these things people talk about we could we could cut away someone actually you know holding the shoe talking about it uh, yeah i just think it's kind of stuck in the dark ages a little bit and um do you want to go get, all in like get the on board cameras like so in cycling there's a there's a velon or like a, mm. a company that now do exclusive broadcast right stuff but from the like cameras on board the bikes so we should you know the runners should have tiny gopros on all over them so you get a real feel of what it's like to be charging charging along at, at you know at, at two 205 marathon pace yeah i, I think, think that's pretty good and who's who's the chap ben uh it's david someone isn't it who, who's made a bit of a who was an ex-pro but he gets on on the motorbike and he kind of commentates as he pulls up to the the peloton uh, and talk well actually funnily enough there's been a few people who've done that uh most recently uh a former guest on the podcast adam blythe he did yeah. it in the in the tour de france uh this year for nbc he was on the bike doing that bradley wiggins has done it and yeah and you're right like that that sort of riding along on the bike with a microphone chatting away to, whilst observing what's going on yeah uh, it'd yeah. be quite interesting wouldn't it I just like to see it. I think these things could be tried. It's it's within our capacity from a technology perspective to do this. I I understand that, that marathon uh, viewing is it's never going to generate the same money as something like a football. So perhaps we're never going to get you know quite the same insight or investment in it. But I just think it's time that we I just. Don't know, uh, I think a, a bit more big off big it. off one off events like the London Marathon. That that's that's a lot of eyes. I reckon you could. I think you're right. I think you could take it full. Full helicopter shots, trucking yeah, helicopters, just... you know, all that jazz. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, I'd like to see a bit more of it. But um, that said, it was it was lovely to uh, to see running on on the BBC. And yes, although it doesn't have perhaps some of the magic as all the other years of London Marathon. Yeah, still moments like the Sarah Hall stuff was and and and, and Kipchoge not winning. I, I do think that was like there was some there was some exciting TV um, within it anyway. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree. I, I mean, you know, I watched it and I, you know, came away with that same sense of being like, that was, that was different than what I expected, but, but nonetheless was, was very enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ben, unless there's anything else to add, maybe we bring on our, our guest of the week. Oh, yeah. You had a chat with John, so I, I, I haven't heard this yet. So let's, let's have a listen. Let's do it. Guest of the week. Sometimes on the phone Could be an athlete Could be a physio Or a complete unknown Our guest this week is the world's best adventure runner. John Alban is the undefeated champion of obstacle course racing and the two-time winner of the Skyrunning World Series. A new documentary on John, Finding My Feet, looks at his remarkable career and we're delighted that he's joining us now from his home in Norway. This, this new documentary, John, uh, Finding My Feet, could you give me a quick sense of, of what it's about? But I know one of the themes is, is about you kind of developing not just as 
an athlete, but also, I guess, as as a person? Yeah, I guess um, when I sat down and started the interview for the documentary, we didn't really have like a direction or a thought or just anything. It was just kind of like me starting from the beginning. And I kind of had this realization that I'm a completely different person now to what I was when I was younger. Um, and it was kind of like weird to try and think how I got to where I am now, because I could never have imagined myself being living in a completely different country, being a professional athlete as my job and just being, I don't know, m more happy, just doing different things and challenging myself and talking to people and just being a bit more out there. How, how would you describe yourself as as a kid like when you were at school do you think were you quite a shy kid I was like yeah the shyest kid you could possibly imagine really I was like I just didn't really want to talk to people I didn't want to like be put out there so people sort of like would see me almost so I was kind of just in the in the background kind of but I guess I, I, I had like a normal a normal childhood like pretty much as normal as you can get living in the UK um just I was one of those people that would like blush as soon as someone looked at them I guess we, we talk a lot now don't we about like um I think like you know words like like social anxiety get talked about in a, in a way that probably when, when you and I were growing up that, that maybe wasn't on like wasn't something people talked about or wanted to talk about but do you think do you think looking back that you did have like you, you were like slightly sort of socially anxious about stuff or did you think you were just a bit shy possibly but I'm not I'm not really sure where the boundaries lie but I would say more just more just shy like just I know I just didn't I just couldn't imagine myself doing anything I could only imagine myself just living in that same small town and possibly I couldn't even imagine like what job I'd have it was just kind of like I was in this bubble and there was no way I could ever imagine myself outside of it because I was never redoing really anything that would push me out of it mm. when, when did that start changing or how, how did it change uh, I think the biggest thing that changed it yeah, I was meeting my uh, girlfriend, partner. Um, I actually met her. I was on a ski holiday with my brother because like, I, I never really did that much stuff myself. But my brother was one of these people which would like to do stuff. He was always saying, yeah, like I'll, I'll try and learn this or I'll do that. Like he had motorbikes, he did kite surfing. And one of the things he did was go skiing. So he took me along on his skiing holiday uh, with uh, some of his friends. And it was there that I met my now wife, Henrietta, who was Norwegian. And that kind of was a bit of a catalyst to then pushing me out into the world. And um, through her, I've like discovered a lot. I mean, the first thing I had to do was fly to Norway to meet her parents. So it was the first girlfriend I'd had, first time I'd been on a flight alone, first time I'd been in another country alone, first time I'd met a girlfriend's parents, uh, just landing there and being just completely thrown out of it. But knowing I like this girl enough that I was going to put myself through it. And maybe from then I got a bit of a taste for it because, yeah, my life just sort of changed completely. How, how old were you then, John, when that, all that was happening? Oh, I must have been 17, I guess. Yeah, something like that. Time does fly. Had you taken your first steps in? I mean, I guess it was it was kind of obstacle course racing that's, that you just kind of started your kind of running stuff is that fair to say yeah so I hadn't started any of that yet I was still playing skate hockey um and then it was a few years into our relationship that I uh, well actually uh Henrietta my wife she, she introduced me to orienteering and I started going out for some jogs and some runs alone anyway 
And it was it was off the back of that that I found this tough guy challenge and decided to test myself there. That so that was the first thing that I really had picked out and thought, well, I'm going to try and do this because I haven't really done much else in my life. And the idea of like getting out of my comfort zone and testing myself and seeing if I could survive the jumping over fire and crawling through icy ponds and stuff was some somewhat appealing, I guess, because I hadn't really done that much up until up until then. And and how did it make you feel when you realised that like not only that you could do it, but also that you were that you were very good at it? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I didn't win Tough Guy, but I entered into a few similar races after Tough Guy, and when I found I could actually win them, I didn't I didn't sort of get a big head or anything because I knew that the competition was very very poor because it wasn't even really a sport. But obviously, it's always fun to win things and to do well at them and just to feel like. I don't know, it suits what you're good at and like gives you that sort of uh, reward. It was yeah, it was fun, but it wasn't because of that that I started training more and trying to be fitter. I just really, for some reason, enjoyed making myself really tired and just having that lifestyle as like an athlete. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And you, you say that, yeah, that you were kind of saying yes to some more things how did that make when you when you started you know taking on these challenges and, and opening up a bit more and saying yes did you um did you find that actually it was having an effect on actually your like stuff outside of sports so actually you were starting to perhaps in social like interactions feeling feeling kind of more confident about yourself there as well yeah um, immensely like I really um by just going out and doing things obviously I was exposed to a lot of different things like within the races I was exposed to some pretty nasty conditions and finding out things about myself and whether I can actually cope in those conditions then I was also having to like uh talk to people a lot more especially as people sort of got to know me because I was one of the better racers um travel a lot more so actually getting around and seeing different parts of the country and then later on traveling to other countries and competing internationally so I was kind of like certainly being thrown out there a bit more which I, I definitely wasn't used to but everything seemed to happen so gradually and so naturally that I just said 
left myself open to these these challenges and said yes to going and doing different things and they just built up gradually until I was sort of standing on the world championship start line in the USA thinking how did how did I arrive here how did this happen yeah and I guess your move to Norway it seems like that seems like a really big sort of pivotal moment in your life as well as you say you kind of grew up in what is the south of England John where, where was where was home before then yeah like near Stansted airport so kind of kind of near London area and I, I actually worked in London for three years before I moved to Norway so that was kind of like a big scary thing to move to another country where you don't know the language and you haven't got any job prospects and just quit your job and just go um that was that was definitely scary but I think it was like by that point I was used to a little bit more of the unknown and I could see that there was possibly a a lot of uh, other opportunities which would present themselves from taking that big step and, and that's how that's how it proved, John. Did you, did you did you feel early on like you once you got down there that you'd made the the right choice to move to Norway? Or was there was it the adjustment period kind of challenging? Um, the adjustment period was it it wasn't that bad. I mean, I love to run in nature and I love the mountains and I love to be out exploring. So just to be thrown into a completely different place where there's so many nice trails and you can run along and drink from streams and eat blueberries which are just growing by the side of the trail and just immerse myself into that sort of like lifestyle um was so amazing I guess I kind of stopped thinking long term because I didn't really know where I was going to be in the next few years so I just kind of like got more comfortable with not having these long-term comfortable plans and just sort of like taking life as it comes Uh, and then I found out that that was actually a lot more fun and, and results in a lot more new and cool experiences than always living within your sort of comfort zone and within the the bubble that you can you can imagine. Do you bring that attitude to how you train, John? As well, I feel like I mean we've talked before, but I feel like your training is possibly slightly more joyful and uh, yeah, maybe slightly more unstructured than, than some athletes. I've, is that is that an attitude that you try to bring to to that as well? Yeah, I think uh, that's probably an understatement. I think my my training is like incredibly varied compared to a lot of other athletes. But then that's partly also because the races I do, I can afford to have more varied training and I can afford to cross train and do different things and it will benefit me in, in some way. Uh, I don't have to be so so structured and do the exact same workouts all the time. So uh, I think that's like a really nice way to live and a really nice way to do exercising. I, I can see that if you do want to be like an Olympic athlete, it's probably not going to work out too well. But you, I mean, you, you know, in in the field that you are that you specialise in, John, you, you know, you are you're at the top. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a little different, isn't it? To, if I was to say, well, you know, I just do, I just throw in the odd run now and again. I'm a kind of enthusiastic amateur, but I think probably the people that you're racing against would would have more structure in their training than than you I, I would I would guess that is true but then uh it's like such a strange thing with with training uh because like as long as you have sort of set ethoses and sort of like a training sort of like big picture plan it it doesn't really matter what you do so much day to day as long as you can live this athlete lifestyle and like not get injured and make sure you vary all your training and don't do too much just slow stuff or too much long stuff or god forbid don't do all your runs the same length at the same pace every single day um 
but yeah, I think that, and partly also like, especially with obstacle racing is really hard to train for because it's just a, such a random sport where you could face any obstacles and they could be any, di- it could be any distance and on any terrain It's really hard to train really specifically for that. Um, it's becoming easier now with more standardized obstacles, but I kind of like this. If you're an all round athlete and pretty good at everything, you should be able to manage on the day. And that's kind of what I stick to. And that's my ethos. And it's also just a lot more, a lot more fun. Like rather than just practicing monkey bars all day, I'd rather go down to a bouldering center or go and do some outdoor climbing and work on my grip strength that way. And that, that means I develop a lot of other skills that maybe in the future, so maybe in the future those skills will come out and and help me as opposed to someone else that just learnt that one specific monkey bar. Maybe there'll be a different monkey bar at the next race and they won't have practiced that one, so they won't be very very good at it. And, and you, I mean, you've made this your your job, John. You know, like you know, you, you earn your living now through through racing and and coaching. Was that? Did you ever imagine that that would have been a possibility? You know, you know, five or six years ago, did that just seem like that was just kind of you know, uh, just a dream. I, it was. It wasn't even a dream, but I think that's probably why it's worked out so well because I've just quite, kind of followed the wave and gone along with it and left myself open to the opportunity. But it was really when I when I did quit my job, moved to Norway, and didn't get another one here, and then I went and won these um, two big obstacle races in the USA and got some prize money. It was actually my wife that said to me, "Oh, well, why don't you just try and run as a job then?" instead of getting one, because I didn't speak Norwegian at the time. So I, I didn't even really actually decide to become a full-time athlete. It just kind of like presented itself. But the only reason it did present itself was because I'd kind of like left myself open to the opportunities as I'd gone through. And, and yeah, I'd, I'd done some things which were slightly uncomfortable, like some of these races are pretty painful, but I'd still gone and done them um, and then been yeah the better off for it afterwards. What advice then, John, would you give to anyone who is perhaps, yeah, maybe struggling to expand their comfort zone, wanted to take on different challenges, but was maybe scared about, yeah, how uncomfortable that might feel? I mean, I guess a really big one is to maybe try and change your attitude a little bit when you're doing the actual challenge or in when you're thinking about the challenge, like maybe like this Alex Honnold, no big deal kind of attitude is a really good one to have because if you just think it's no big deal it means you just automatically assume you should be able to do it and you will you should be able to do anything really it just depends on how long it's going to take uh but not giving yourself too much kudos afterwards because it wasn't such a big deal and that will then result hopefully in you going on and doing something bigger and better whereas if you set really structured set goals you're going to limit yourself to those goals. So if you really think I can only run this course in this time and that's what you'll do all your training to and that's what you'll pace yourself for, it might be that you could have run quicker, but you won't be able to because you didn't even have, didn't give yourself the opportunity. Um, But yeah, being really open-minded and just think you will be able to get through pretty much anything and it won't be that big of a deal because you could probably do a lot harder things. I mean, your body will, will, be able to do a lot more than you think it can so just go out there and give it your all and make sure you have fun while you're doing it that's great and um if you want to know a bit more about the, the documentary and where they can where they can uh watch it where can where can people go yeah it's um it's actually live on endurance sports tv 
uh, which is like a, a new platform for yeah, a lot of endurance type videos. So I've been going on there on the odd evening um, and watching through the video, sort of like Netflix for um, for athletes. So it's been it's been great to work with them, and it was it was fun. They actually got a friend of mine to come out and make the documentary, and we managed to do it in in five days uh, a couple of months ago. So it was it was like a really fun experience to to make a documentary like that and and see how it turned out because like I said we didn't really have a plan we just sort of chatted about my foot chatted about where I started within exercising and and where I'm I'm off to and it was yeah it was a really fun experience that's great John thank you so much for for making time to uh, to speak with us on Runners World podcast always great to to chat to you always find your your attitude to stuff really refreshing and uh, best of luck with um yeah, with the injury and uh, and your running plans going forward. Yep. Uh, thanks. It's been yeah, it's been great. And hopefully, everyone else can can be getting out there and running a bit more now as well. Like it's been a tough a tough year so far, but hopefully, everyone's made the best of the summer and we can look forward to uh, a better twenty twenty one. This is the Runners World Podcast. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World Podcast. A big thanks to our guest John Alban and to you, of course, for listening. Runners World podcast is available on Acast, iTunes and all of your favourite podcast apps. Just search Runners World UK. Please remember to subscribe. Uh, also, if you'd like to subscribe to the magazine, there's still a, a special listener offer. So visit hearstmagazines.co.uk slash podcast and get three issues for just £5. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 